But to give you all the insight of uh, education, you know, this is all about fun and games when it comes to podcasts. So we've had our fun. Now let's play our games and do a little bit of a snarl drill because we want you to be picking your brains and like, hmm, what do you think about this? So I know Randy's homework for this session was to give us a scenario breakdown. And while he's picking Tyler and I's brain about how we'd handle this, and we, Tyler and I, have no idea what the scenario is either, so this is going to be all unfiltered. While you're sitting there listening to this podcast, I want you to be doing the same, whether you're MFR, EMT, paramedic, anything above, or neither. I want you to think about, in your role in the service, so even as a police officer, how would you respond to this scenario, or where would you implement yourself that's in this scenario? I'm, that's what I'm excited to see. I Absolutely. Want, I want to see some law enforcement. I want to see some dispatch. Yep. Yep. So we're gonna try to touch it up. You know, touch up all the bases here. You know, from the minute it's dispatch, the minute the call's taken, to dispatch questions, to toning out, to police, to officers. You know, on the fire department, everything, EMS, to the minute we transport to the hospital and hand over to doctors. Um, so I can kind of use my dispatch and, um, I guess, fire and EMS background on this. Um, but uh, I can say, so I'll give you guys a brief example of a call that was uh, ran just here a couple weeks ago on our fire department. It was for a um, male patient with a um, penetrating trauma to the abdomen. Um, he was uh, involved in a domestic dispute and um, had a approximate uh, two-inch laceration, pretty much center mast, uh, upper quadrant, uh, with uh, dark red heavy bleeding coming from. Um, so when we get a call like that in our dispatch center, um, you know, it's just, it's, you don't get that very often. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a adrenaline, it's a bit of an adrenaline thing. We, uh, you know, obviously want to get out the uh, important information right away, like who was involved, descriptions of who, uh, what happened, uh, descriptions, possibly where the victim is located, where the assailant is located, if the assailant is still on the property. Uh, we want to get people headed that direction as soon as possible, so when we have the basic information, uh, location, etc., we, we get police rolling, we get... Uh, uh, fire EMS started uh, keeping in mind their safety and uh, trying to stay in line with the callers as long as we possibly can to get as much information as we can uh, as well to give pre-arrival instructions I mean ultimately uh, you're yeah exactly you beat it it's pre-arrival instructions you are starting the first aid you know by delegating hey uh, start CPR and I'm going to stay on the phone with you and give you a count count the 30 you know stuff like that so you guys are initiating the very basics and initiating the uh, the first care, so to speak. So or high respects for the... Uh, catch a baby or stop yeah, bleeding yeah, or... Catch a baby. Um, you know, do all those fun things. I sure. uh, definitely enjoyed dispatching. Uh, it was uh, hard for me because I wanted to be out there. Um, so people with no fire EMS police background um, going into going into dispatching, they might really, really know. But having worked the road prior to that was difficult to transition there because I'm like, gosh, I want to get my hands out and my hands dirty. I want to help these people. But really, we are helping people. 
and we're helping people get to uh, to where they got to go uh, as fast as possible. Sure. Um, so what's scenario? You, you talk about the abdomen. Give us a scenario here. Uh, so once the information is betrayed and you know law enforcement sent, uh, PD, I'm sorry, fire and EMS are staged, um, and our department is uh, we um, are transporting um, ALS department. The uh, police arrived on scene, um, secured the scene as best that he could with just being a, a, a lone police officer. Uh, sent in EMS, got on scene to um, male patient laying in, in his residence uh, in the stairway, in the walkway. Um, we were able to get major bleeding controlled and get him uh, get him out to the truck as soon as possible. Um, we had some a few issues with almost kind of being starstruck uh, by some of the personnel and that and that will be trained on at some point. We don't do this every day, especially in rural uh, Lansing. We really don't run into this issue very often. So we there was some communication breakdown, and there needed to be a little bit more direction um, and getting this patient out into definitive care a little bit faster. We um, had some issues with breakdown of scene safety. From my perspective, the um, law enforcement officer did the best he possibly could with trying to keep us safe, as well as trying to preserve evidence and uh, get um, a possible location of where the assailant was, as he was getting information from the people on scene, just as we were getting information about the patient. He, there's a few people, like neighbors started walking up different people started walking up that were not part of the fire response or police response. And as we're trying to take care of this patient, these random people are just walking up and it's 10 o'clock at night and we're in a trailer park and it just was not a good situation all the way around. Um, it was, it was quite concerning and really, I didn't really notice this till even after the call. And I was like, wait a minute, these people are just, who the hell are these people? Like, why are they just coming up on our scene? We were able to get the patient out, get the patient in the truck. There were some more issues with patient care that I would have liked to have seen differently. Uh, I was not the senior medic on the truck at the time, um, so I gave respect to the senior paramedic that he deserves. Uh, but this is a great way to go back in training to, to review this, uh, to review these types of situations. Sure. Uh, not that there was a delay in patient care, but we are trained to do this job moving. And I think that's a practice that is slowly dying in emergency, in pre-hospital emergency medicine, where our, our trucks have lights and sirens on them for a reason. You get the patient in the back of the truck, and you need to go, especially with uh, some sort of an active bleed, um, not breathing, etc. We can do all of these treatments en route. Yes, it's more difficult, but that's what we have to practice. Uh, and it brings us back to training. It gets us back to having keeping our head in the game. So how do we see that in a change of mentation where it's like rural versus city? You know, like Tyler, you know, you you work predominantly in rural. So if you had a scenario where it was an abdomen bleed, uh, what was the cause again? It was, uh, a, it was a stabbing. Okay, so give us like the scenario, like a, almost like a static conversation. Say, this is what you got. Okay. How would you handle it? So uh, your rural transporting ALS fire department, 
you are responding with PD, just you and your partner. Um, you might have, you do have uh, some assistance coming, but they're not, they're a little bit of ways out. Um, you have approximately 20-minute transport time to the closest level one trauma center. You are called for a, you know, 25-year-old male stabbing, uh, active bleeding, is awake and conscious. Tyler, what do you do? The minute you're toned. So your pager that you got on a hippie right now. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh... I mean, the twenty-minute transport—that is—that's that's, common. That's bare minimum for us there. So, um, I actually, uh, me and a couple of the other officers have our PD <laughs> program that we just switched to an eight hundred system in our county. So, I actually have the luxury of listening to PD because they actually do get—they get toned quite a bit. You know, actually, sometimes minutes before yep. we do. It's pretty rapid, absolutely. And. Uh, so if I got to jump on it, I'm already cooking down to the station sometimes before the, for the especially when it comes to stabbings and and GSW type things, um, which happen. They're not super common in the rural area, but they do happen. So uh, this the hard part is in in the rural aspect there too is the the uh, scene safety presence. I mean PD is about. Uh, their role as well so sometimes they're all over the place sometimes they're on it that night so depending on how fast I can get at that person I mean you really got to start thinking outside of the box I mean it's kind of a gas and go and then the basics of bleeding control and everything um, safety first in the rural aspect but um, I mean the mindset is like you know the ultimate question you think of first is A is the scene safe but B where's that knife you know, is is that knife in the victim? Is that knife in the victim's hand because it's self-inflicted, or is that knife in somebody else's hand and that's causing the scene to be unsafe? Yeah. You know, which which we take for granted a lot. We leave that up to PD, and that that's it's not something they teach you on the fire EMS side, and that's where I have high respect for PD and dispatching because they, sometimes they catch that for you. They tell you, they, you know, and listening to a PD side of the uh, radio traffic now, um, not that I'm a huge, like, pager, or, you know, pager junkie with listening to the whole PD scanner, but it's, uh, it helps me perform better because it's already getting me thinking in that way. Um, they tend to dispatch us pretty plain. They usually give you a chief complaint, you know, a stab wound, okay great but with the police they usually give them more of the picture hey you know so and so domestic you know this person and that person so now I know there's two people involved one you know to kind of start painting the picture of a mechanism injury like sure. you said is it self-inflicted is it you know is there two parties involved and whatnot so uh, it just basically comes down to information you got to put a big puzzle together and but you got to do it fast because you got to remember where you're at and you're on the time so let's let's say the scene's safe we show up on scene alright it's me and you just back in the old days showing up on squad right and we show up Randy is the scene safe just cause there's just cause there's PD on scene doesn't mean it's scene safe that's a great question so we show up are we allowed to be on scene okay uh, as we're on scene is the knife secured or is the knife still in the victim um, the knife is 
not able to be found. Okay. Uh, is this a third-party attack, or is this self-inflicted? Uh, third party. Third party. Uh, but I have a police officer on scene. Police officer is uh, on the scene somewhere. Uh, he is not currently in the house with you, but uh, when you get came in, he said the victim was inside, pointed inside. Okay. So, you and me, Tyler, we're walking in. Um, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but ultimately what I would do is one of us is treating and the other person is keeping an eye out. Because, again, we know the scene's safe, but we just don't know to what extent. So, let's say I delegate that to you. Like, hey, uh, Tyler, go ahead and start treating this patient. And Tyler walks up to the victim. What does he see? Uh, male laying supine on the floor uh, is awake talking to the other bystander that was on scene witness. Um, is alert, looks at you when you come in. What kind of questions you get? Well, you're, you're doing your visual first. You're, okay. you're processing everything. Processing everything visual, you know. The, obviously bleep, <laughs> bleeding, then airway, and then sure. going on from there. So so obviously just like natural registry, BSI scene safety, I got my gloves on, right? Scene safe to some extent that Randy's saying the police officer somewhere, but he called us in. It, it's kind of a double-edged sword because as much as you want to press – with, with an incident like that, when there is a a more of a crime involved, a stabbing, a gunshot, as much as you want to know what went down, sometimes if you just the basic questions and if you can get personal with that person, once you've kind of put your safety first, you can kind of pull them out of what just happened and then really get the good info. Um what you need to do the best for that patient to advocate for that patient because he's going to start breaking down a little bit if if possible if you can get through that emotional barrier of what just happened and you get him on your side of answering medical questions he'll tell you what's you know he'll just keep talking to you and you can kind of paint the picture of what this patient needs as the basic of a patient it's hard to do human nature wants to know what happened the, right. the, the story you know law enforcement um, for the most part, they're, that's what they're trained to do is to keep on the story aspect of it. So, sure. so anytime you have a team aspect where you can break the patient down just to what hurts, you know, what's going on, and your assessment keeps unfolding, I think it's a little bit beneficial because I think you can get down to the science of it. Sure. But And to the, put it in a little bit of perspective, not to cut you off there, um, we, want, we talked about um, you know city EMS versus rural EMS and we're kind of going with rural style right here where you know in my experience working in the city and Vince helped me out I don't know how Chicago does things differently or not but we do things all different yeah right uh you know we're showing up on a you know medic basic um ambulance and we might get a couple people to come help first respond so we might for this specific scene there was three of us two paramedics and one EMT and one solid EMT uh, I'll give her that um but that was it for the medical side of things. So we had this absolutely priority patient with the three of us. So I don't know in the city how often, you know, you're just running, you know, these priority victims, priority patients with two to three, you know, you know staff. Um, it's a it's a different world compared to some of these full time departments that you know are going with a whole engine company, you know, two paramedics on the on the ambulance. And then two or three police officers that will help if needed. 
so I mean, it's, he's got a, you know, it's a totally different world. It is a different mindset, and just kind of piggyback off that conversation. I mean, Chicago had a fire uh, maybe a month ago, and it was a pretty good factory fire, so to speak, in a sense of I believe it was tire. I wasn't there, but to to put it in perspective, Chicago had two hundred seventeen firefighters on that scene. Outstanding. To think about that in like Hopkins. I mean, how many people are you going to get on an actual structure that's fire? That's the whole county. That's, that's, that's more than the whole county. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there's no way you'd get the whole county in one fire. Well, that's prime time. So 6 o'clock yeah. at night, everybody's home from work. Absolutely. And everybody just wants to go run a call. Right. It's just personnel and staffing and availability. You know, um, that's, Chicago's got a mentation. You, you know, the more the better and everybody gets responded to everything. Um, so I know Chicago, we have plenty of hands, almost, almost too many hands to help. Um, on that kind of medical, it's always going to be an ALS ammo and then a engine or truck, whether it's ALS or BLS, depending on who's closest. Um, so for me to think about that scenario, I probably would say we have a minimum of seven, give or take two, four, depending on the PD response right away and performing first aid. But it seems like most of the mindset for police out in Chicago, unfortunately, is that they don't want to jump right in because they're fearful of how the public looks at them, you know? So they always kind of hang out until we show up and then we go all, all together. Same safety is one thing, but just a basic medical is a different mindset. But rule... Which is unfortunate because they could do so much. Oh, yeah. You know, get patient information. First aid. Uh, stop major bleeding. Exactly. Um, and then maybe that would help some of the way that people look at them. Like, exactly. oh, wow, they're not just cops. They're human beings. They're here to help us, too. So Exactly. There's a double-edged so sword there. For this scenario, we show up, and it's a abdominal bleed. And you said the knife is not present. We don't know where it's at. Um, so after BSI scene safety, patient assessment, the first thing we're doing is HABCs, right? The new PHTLS performed after the military standard is massive hemorrhage. And then your airway and breathing circulation, because your airway breathing circulation does not matter if you're hemorrhaging. Make sense? So if we apply this on this patient, do I see any massive hemorrhaging? So not only just the squirting, bleeding, pulsating blood, I'm also looking at, is he surrounded by a pool of blood? Yeah, so not, <coughs> excuse me, not surrounded, uh, just active uh, bleeding coming from the abdomen. So not surrounded, just active. Are we looking at a squirting bleed or just a Oozing. Oozing, okay. Um, now do I see distension that like the stomach is that the swollen? medical term for oozing is there a better oozing? can we do better than that hey that's rural <laughs> vocabulary right there <laughs> that my friend is oozing blood. oozing <laughs> absolutely so I mean yeah maybe some bandage you know obviously it's abdominal so what kind of hemorrhage is that a bad one okay it's a bad one but is it compressible non-compressible can I put a tourniquet around the waist so it's non-compressible, right? Because I can't put a tourniquet. I can't really compress the abdomen to stop the bleed. Not enough to not get enough pressure to stop right, bleeding. Right, because that abdomen's going to stand all day to fill yep. up with blood. You know, you fill plenty of fluids in there. Whereas if it was a limb, I could put a tourniquet, compress. That right there is the break line. That For is half, a break line. half your manpower on scene. That because is the majority. If they, can't, if they can't see it, I have nothing to get. No, I mean, that's just, it's not their job. But right. PD's out. But this is the type of bleed that is majority causing deaths, is that we cannot compress them on scene uh, pre-hospital. So 
maybe some bandage, maybe just put it around the wound, figure it out. Now, after H, what's next? Airway. Airway. Airway, right? So, how's my airway? Peyton, he's uh, talking to you, full breaths, able to control his airway. Okay. Uh, how's my breathing? Um, shallow, um, but he's got good uh, tidal volume. He's moving air. Uh, talking about breathing, do I hear anything? Any wheezing? Any gurgling? No gurgling, no wheezing. Uh, clear airway. Okay. Do you want to do anything, Tyler, with airway right now? Or breathing? As long as it's Peyton. So the thing about the audience, uh, are we looking at signs of shock? Potentially. So maybe I could think about some oxygen, right? Shock, oxygen, not a breather. Why not? It's not going to hurt. Uh, circulation. How's my circulation? Uh, pink, warm, and dry. Um, this happened just approximately 10 minutes prior. Okay. So it was still relatively fresh. So here's a little bit of a question if about circulation. Can I have good circulation? Or I'm sorry, let me say it this way. Can I have bad circulation to almost zero circulation and still be breathing? I would say yes. What do you think, Tyler? So think about no circulation. So circulation, we're thinking well, about yeah, skin color. Yeah, things, things can be running, but yeah. it doesn't matter if it's... <laughs> if you're doing anything with it. <laughs> so circulation, you're thinking about skin color, you're thinking about co- you know uh, temperature, you're thinking about pulses majorly. So can I have zero pulses but still be breathing? That's why they call it agonal. There you go. There's a winning ticket. So agonal respiration. So they do exist, right? Uh, do not get caught in that mindset of like, oh, circulation. Or if they're breathing, I could skip C. That seemed to be a tradition that we've had in the past with uh, Mrs. Um, hmm, try to think of the name. <laughs> I like my boots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, we had an individual just, but that's the way she was trained is that as long as they breathe or they were breathing, then they uh, have a circulation. This is, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. I will say though, it, it, it's been like the trend now. I, I get, uh, a lot of, a, a couple areas in our, rural area where they immediately get on scene and they go right to agonal breathing but then there's nothing after that it's radio traffic wise sure. of course I'm not there and I'm talking about it and it's uh, I think they get agonal mixed up with uh, sh- really shallow yep. <laughs> you know I mean it's still respiratory distress and eventually one's following the other but sure. um, I have I have seen that agonal word get I think prematurely misunderstood exactly yep. well, on the dispatch side um, using ProQA software or, and really using the pre-arrival instructions um, the call taker dispatcher gets the caller uh, reporting party to get down close to their chest and actually look us in and feel you know with basic instruction over the phone and if there is a you know, if they're not breathing, and they actually time it out, so whether they actually count it out, and based on how much, how many times they breathe in a minute, the computer generates, you know, agonal versus okay versus you know, um, trouble breathing. So that's where the the agonal comes from is from that programming. Phenomenal, good input. So now that we've completed the HABCs, circulation is good. What's our next step? Mm, patient assessment. What do you got, Tyler? 
patient assessment, I mean, you're going down the trauma list and everything, your RTA and everything. Um, but the vitals are the big thing because you're looking internal. If it's not, if you're, he's not wearing it external, you start looking internal. But you got to remember that rule aspect there. I mean, two things, and it depends on your manpower. Uh, or just, just personnel on scene, I should say. Uh, so in this you case, start start packaging. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you, depending you, on you the can distance. you can assess sure. and package. You just got to make sure it's it's efficient and it's thorough. Don't don't shortchange one or the other. So if we had this patient, you and I, and we do our HABCs, what would be our next step into determining? And I think per algorithm, it's actually looking at the um, what's it called? I have a not a GSW, but a uh, Glasgow fifteen, right? Yeah. yeah. So, what does that mean to you? What's a Glasgow? It's a cow that is made of glass. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Zing. No, no internal internal stability, and I think mental status. Now, now sure. you're, you're going hand in hand. Now you're assessing from from the time you've been there to your current state of things. Where are we going with this? So are you going to start talking to the patient at this point? Uh, you should have been talking to him from the minute that you met him. Sure. Well, <laughs> if I mean, he's I'd, got a patent airway yeah. and he was talking to you. Yeah. yeah. And ideally, I think your yeah. HABCs could be done pretty accurately just visually. I mean, if you guys would agree. I could show up to a room and look at a patient and be like, all right, well, his hemorrhage. I don't see anything squirting airway. I could see these open or closed. Breathing. Do I see chest rise and fall? Do I hear anything out of the lungs and circulation? How's my skin color? And do I have a pulse? Obviously, if he's walking around, he's got a pulse. All right? There's no defining that, you know, unless COVID's got other plans for the future of our, <laughs> you know, patient care. But um, checking pulse. So now at this point, I'm sitting or kneeling next to the patient, and I'm talking to him like, hey, what's going on today? And what do I want to assess on that patient? Me as a patient, uh, bro. I'm leaking out. Okay. <laughs> that's what's that's what's up. Right. So Glasgow coma scale, right? You're talking about the first assessment is eye openings. So how do I assess the eyes? What am I looking for? You guys remember? Reactivity. Okay, in a way. So you're looking at spontaneous. You know, are they looking at me as I walk up? Are they making direct eye contact? Are they staring off at middle of space, almost like how peds do? And if you know that they're sick is because they're looking off in space and they don't recognize you. Um, are they responsive to sound? So, hello, sir, ma'am, can you hear me? Uh, are they responsive to pain? So a little pinch of the arm, is that what makes them look at me? Or is there no eye movement? They don't even recognize me. Next would be verbal response. So are they orientated, confused? Is it just words? So mumbo jumbo, or is it just sounds? So gurgle, gurgle, laddie dottie, or is it no sounds, no verbals? And then motor, talking about the PMS, right? Pulse, motor, sensation. Uh, they obey, localize the pain, normal flex, abdominal, or not abdominal, abnormal, extension, none. That's what determines your Glasgow. Randy, what's the old cue of innovation? 
uh, less than eight into eight. There you go. That's what it which is. Which is stupid. It's stupid. It's a good. I mean, I, it's not in it's the old books. School. It's old school. It's not always valid, but I think it's very valid in the sense of they're not at eight. I'm gonna in the back of my mind. I'm thinking that maybe at some point I should be thinking about innovation or air or can control. they control airway? Yeah. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. So going back to the scenario, we do our GSW, not GSW, Glasgow. How is our Glasgow in this patient? Fifteen. Fifteen. So that is good or bad? Good. Fifteen out of fifteen. Okay. Um, is bleeding controlled with what we did? Uh, like a five by nine dressing placed on top um, with uh, minimal tape. Um, it's slowing it, but it's just the five by nine is just covered in blood, just soaking up with blood. So, so what do we do? Add more or remove it? You keep packing. <laughs> 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 just keep adding to it. Right? Explicit. Well, if you uh, brought your jump bag in, sure, you would have this on you. And you said we're 20 minutes away from trauma, right? Once we start transporting, we are So are we going away. to a trauma center or are we going to a band-aid station? Trauma center. Trauma center, right? Perfect. So vitals, how are my vitals? We haven't got it yet. Okay, let's get them on a stretcher because I know we're 20 minutes away. So I, I quickly want to get things going, but also want to assess as we're doing it. So he's outside a, he's inside a, a, a double wide or a single wide trailer. Uh, you cannot get your stretcher in there. Do I have the manpower to carry him? You've got three people plus cop. Does this guy... Ooh, okay. Three um, medically trained people and then a police officer. Is he able to be carried in the chair? He's laying on the floor. Can I get If you were chair? listening earlier. I wasn't listening. I understand that. <laughs> uh, are we thinking spinal trauma? Um, so the only report about the size of the blade was that it was 10 inches. Um, okay. Unknown if it was serrated or not serrated. So here's a question for you guys: If if we do have the blade at hand, are we going to be able to assess how deep that blade potentially went? Potentially. How so? With the dried blood on it. Dried blood. As long as it wasn't wiped off. But exactly. You can't. You got to take that with a grain of salt with the yeah, accuracy. I would always that. assume that it went all the way, hundred percent. But at some point, I would say, okay, if this was a five-inch blade, let's go with five inches, right? So, but it's blades out here, um, so we're not a thinking spinal trauma. That's what you said. So he's got put good pulse motor sensation in all four extremities, uh, and he's not complaining of any back pain. No head trauma. Um, he no. He's just Pupils complaining are good. of yes. He is just complaining of the uh, um, the stomach hurting. Um, but yes, we cannot rule out spinal damage, spinal trauma. How big is my laceration in the stomach? Approximately about two inches um, long and, uh, you know, about a blade thin wide. Okay. What do you want to do, Tyler? Well, do we you, only gave, you, only gave me, you only gave me three people and a, co- and a law enforcement officer, so. Oh, that, I mean, you, you got to start moving, but. I don't know. Depends. I, it's hard. Protocol for us is a little weird. That's kind of right on the line of old thinking and what we have the Nexus type system. So if he's got a glass cow of 15 and he can talk to you, he can probably, if he's not, doesn't, if he remembers everything, didn't black out, there's no ETOH no drugs on board and any of that perfect. stuff. I mean, you can, a personnel could 
essentially question him off a backboard. Sure. Um, that, Are we in a physical form to be able to carry him out on a, a backboard or a mega mover? Define physical form. Are we is capable the pa- of the carrying patient, him? Is the patient a cow? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm not saying that. <laughs> does he drink McUltra or does he drink uh, Budweiser? No, Budweiser Platinum, baby. Okay, sure. all right. No, uh, he's about uh, 150 pounds. Okay, so easy. Uh, Tyler and I could do that, I would say. Um, I would always want to keep in mind of uh, Spinal. Maybe throw a collar on him for the sake being. We just don't know. I always run to rule that out, but this is also a mindset of we're 20 minutes out and this is potential bad trauma. I want to give it out. So mega mover, I would say. Uh, collar, mega mover, oxygen, put the tank between his legs, get him out to stretcher, put him on you stretcher. You bring oxygen in with you. I didn't. Nope. I thought you said I had my uh, my first handbag. Later on, the first handbag came in, yes. So I do have oxygen. You do now. <laughs> So I have oxygen. I'm putting oxygen on this patient because of uh, potential shock. I would, I would, I would, safe to say, if you get stabbed, you didn't lay down nice. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely. I'm gonna just say, if you get stuck, center mass, uh, you're, oh, so you're letting gravity do the work when you gotta lay not, yourself down. He got stabbed outside. Ooh. And walked approximately 50 feet back inside the residence. And then laid down, just laid down nicely in the four, so, so foyer. Before we know the answers, we're going to continue this at this point. Let's say we get him out on a mega mover, right? Collar, oxygen on the stretcher. Get the stretcher in the truck. Give me two minutes before we actually tra- start transport. I'm grabbing a fire guy to drive for us because this local area does does allow that. So ambulance um, driver got promoted to the back. Yep, that's where we're at. And I'm thinking full trauma. So 18 IVs. I'm not going to flush them out, but I'm going to maintain blood pressures because um, there is a danger to too much saline, right? Saline does not act like blood in the sense of carrying oxygen. But two IVs, monitor my my vitals all the way. So blood pressure. What's my current blood pressure? Uh, pressures are stable, uh, 120s, 70s. What's my heart rate and SAT? Uh, 100% and um, you're floating around the 90s. 90s. Um, throw a number 12 lead no matter what. 4 and 12. Uh, what else? So am I still bleeding through Sinus, my Sinus, 12 lead unremarkable, and you're still bleeding through the abdominal dressing. I would okay. say once you're packaged, you're looking at lung sounds as well, making sure those Perfect. are not compromised. How's my lung sounds? Um, ask the medic who didn't take them. I'm not sure. And how's the patient lung sounds? Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it got to I always talk to my patients in third. You know, like, how am I lung sound? How am I talking to the patient? It got to the point where I asked if there was an, um, any help needed on transport, and the senior paramedic uh, said he was all set. So, Are we grabbing a blood sugar for this patient? Let's do it, right? Why not? I hate to get there and blood he's, sugar's 28. He's bleeding out, so you got plenty of blood right there. Let's do it. <laughs> blood sugar, done. 12 lead, done. Sats, done. Oxygen's taken care of. Bleeding is our concern. Are we packing the abdomen? I don't think you're putting anything inside. Why not? I'm just an EMT. We're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Why not, Randy? Says the guy with two kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> What? 
why are we not packing the abdomen with gauze? Well, I, I can see the we don't want to make the hole bigger. Um, but you also have a, you know, a fairly considerable drive time. So maybe asking for orders if they would like us to do that would be, you know, at least it would be um, helpful. Sure. Um, but at this point where bleeding is not controlled and you do have such an extensive time and you do have other things you need to do, uh, it, you know, could we not at least try? So here's my question for you. And I talked about it earlier about compressible, non-compressible. What's different about the admin or chest that is what's not compressible compared to a limb when it comes to packing and compressing, right? Compressing could be packing or tourniquet. So what's particular about the abdomen and chest when it comes it's to packing? Like cavity. the hollow organs? Yeah. yeah. You 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 could put gauze in there all day. The abdomen is going to extend as much as it wants to fill up with blood. Mm-hmm. Unless you find a pinpoint exactly where that bleed's coming from and you're able to just wallpaper it onto that bleed. But you're not going to be able to, you know, out in the field. So not compressible. You can't pack it. You don't pack chest wounds. You don't pack abdomen wounds. It's just it's you're fighting a very hard battle to fight. Isn't that something better than nothing? Yeah, um, it could be, but in the mindset, too, is that if you packed seven rolls of gauze and you're still not well, getting that's, anywhere... that's excessive. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now the surgeon's got to fight through seven rolls of gauze to get to where that cut... That's why he that. gets paid yeah. a big money. <laughs> and to fit anything through a knife wound usually means you got to open them up. <laughs> right. Well, and cause more trauma, so that was definitely a, a thought process. Yeah, so how do we handle the blood loss? Out in the field here. So whole blood, diesel, diesel, right? I think it'd be great. Some organizations are carrying whole blood now. I think there's a lot of aviation assets, but there are some ground assets that are carrying whole blood because ultimately that's what the patient uh, needs. I'd like to work for those organizations on, great. that are evidence-based medicine and, and can actually do some stuff for your patient. Versus, so is, is this patient going to benefit from a bolus? Of whole blood or packed red blood cells, absolutely. But let's say bolus and no more saline. No. Why not? He's perfusing, okay. So why not saline? Why not? That's going to get my blood pressure up, right? Um, Temporarily. He will compensate until he doesn't. Or so, it'll keep his pressure up until he just blows out, leaks out more. So what does your blood pressure represent? The how much force of squeezing how of their heart. Fluid. Fluid, technically, mm-hmm. you have in the tubes, right? Mm-hmm. How much pressure of the fluids? Now, what does your pulse ox represent? Amount of oxygen. The quality of your product running through your pipes. So does normal saline carry oxygen? Nope. Absolutely not. So this is someone who's not going to benefit from a bolus. I would say to maybe one at most to give some sort of pressure. Well, you're just buying time. At this you're point. buying time. And if, if, if you get it started initially, if you're on scene time, it's great. You're just yeah. you're making it work less. You know, from the get-go. And we can give two two liters um, is all they want us to give. Mm-hmm. And generally, that's going to, even if you get a large bore, it's going to take the drive time roughly to get that in them. You just know you're in trouble when the patient started bleeding very, lick, like, clear red. <laughs> <laughs> you Like Kool-Aid. Pretty oh, much. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. So... That was our scenario. We got to the hospital. We did what we could for the lead. We managed what we could. I think we hit all the vitals. Now, in the yeah, to backtrack though, because it's a lot of a lot of a lot of EMS there. Sure. 
there anything EMS fire can do in that transition period? Because that's always kind of the weird, awkward walk around. Not awkward, but you've got them loaded up. You've got your mission stated. Is there anything you can do for PD or dispatch? Extra than we already do. There's protocol, which you got to do. But, I mean, how do, how do you... On the it, fire aspect? EMS side. We'll go EMS. It's okay. fire EMS. I mean, there's probably a fire guy there, but uh, we're not. There's nothing hot there. <laughs> so, right. so the EMS side. We just kind of went down the alley of patient care and operations on which on which we're going. Sure. Is there anything you can do for your dispatch? Anything you can do for your law enforcement that you don't normally typically do? I think something we don't think about much of the time is by the time we transport, we forgot to tell dispatch, hey, don't send any more resources. You know, because dispatch may be thinking about they may need more, let me send more, and Mm -hmm. they're getting more on the route, but we've already taken off and we stopped requesting more. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what were you thinking? I was just curious. Well, I mean, I guess, guess, you know, if, as he stated, if he got stuck outside and walked 50 feet in, would you delegate your resources not to stand outside? Because you know what happens in, in a in a smaller home like that. You get three, four guys inside there, and then the fire truck shows up, and they stand right outside the door because oh, there's sure. no room. Now you're standing on top of, what, a scene, you know? Evidence. So, Evidence. So, I mean, is there a way to quickly ask your law enforcement friend there what he needs of your resources once you've deemed you've got enough to get things started and get things going i mean you get if you got to pull an extra guy in there that's, that's you got to advocate for your patient that way sure but, and then also dispatch is there any extra information or anything you need to tell them i don't know just throwing it out there i think on a dispatch sense probably give us you know the amount of times i've had the surprise factor you show up for blood sugar and uh, ends up being a full arrest or you know me I hate my surprises I want to know as soon as I get the wheels rolling exactly what I'm walking into so I'm planning my trip my itinerary you know so I think uh, dispatch has a mindset of like trying to get as much information but also maybe they could remind officers and first responders there be like hey so what do you actually have you know do you tell dispatch and, and this is something that you know my neck of the woods it's not written some people do some don't do you tell dispatch what priority you're going to the hospital i do i do when i'm going one but that's more for the driving yeah i do i do regardless they say i'm going two or three um because i'm not necessarily telling dispatch that i'm telling everybody else who's listening you know i'm telling the potential firefighter who's coming code on his personal vehicle to try to beat me halfway if i want more help you know, or he's still showing up on scene. Um, I don't know if I'd advise for a guy to meet me halfway, no, but I have, I have had it where, well, the agency I, you know, we work for covers eleven townships, so I got yeah. two in between me and the hospital to the north. Sure. So but if I tell him I'm going one, and if it gets south, it goes south. You know, yeah. there's a fire station or two. You know, it's always nice to know that somebody's coming through your area priority yeah. one if they need extra help. I mean, there's been times I've responded from the other side of the town with my lights and sirens, even though the ambulance is already there, because I was like, oh, this is a big call. But I hear them say, hey, we're going party two, party three. I'm like, oh, so they're probably not going to need additional resources. But there's also been times I've been in the ambulance needing additional resources saying we're going one, 
And I've seen somebody pull off on the side of the road, which was a local firefighter. And we stopped the truck and I was like, jump on board, leave your car. I need hands. You know, so I think just advising over the radio, again, not necessarily for dispatch sakes, but also for all other firefighters and responders to know exactly how critical this patient or scene still is. I've got a 30 minute drive, you know, so I'll take a bus full of six of you guys. <laughs> Done it before. Yeah. You know? No, and it works on dispatch's side too. Yeah. Because I've had them. If, if they can assume my area and the, probably the common route in which we take to the hospital, they might know something we don't know about sure. traffic. And I've had that. They say, hey, there is a backup on in the next county up because all the hospitals Absolutely. are in the next county north. But, you know. And there's been times. just curious. I mean, we covered yeah. the EMS aspect of that call. but There's, there's been times you could have dispatch even call the hospital for you and tell them what's going on. It's like, hey, call Butterworth for me. Let them know we got this going on route because I don't have time to call to make a report. You know, so we've done that before. Good point. We'll see. And out in uh, my neck of the territory, Genesee County uh, is really, really good about letting us know who's coming 99% of the time. But, you know, if you have anything big, you got fire and PD coming. Um, and then we can read it in our CAD notes on the way to the call so we can kind of see who's coming from where. Uh, so that's that's a really nice uh, feature. And then um, I'm, I am very – I call the hospitals all the time with pre-alerts. Like, sure. we'll be on scene. I'll come in and be like – all right. Well, you're. I know you're going to so and so hospital. Um. So I'll I'll get on the phone radio right with uh with them right then and um let them know. Hey, I'm 30 minutes out. I got this going on. I'll call back when I have more information. So sure. I'm a big pre alert guy. Some some people it seems like I annoy them when I do that. Um. But then I'm 99 percent of the time the hospitals are <laughs> like, thank you so much. We were able to call in so and so get 100%. the trauma team activated or the trauma team was already on another call so we were able to get additional trauma team people in. You don't know their status currently. Yeah. So I'd rather sh- call in 35 minutes late or 30 minutes, 35 minutes to there versus, Hey, two minutes out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Surprise. Surprise. So I don't want to be that guy, that provider either. Cause that's Absolutely. not good patient care. Absolutely. So, but uh, yeah, so this guy was transported and uh, he was briefly seen in the ER um, and uh, was then sent right up to surgery. So we um, haven't heard uh, the, any outcome good or negative from this particular case. Now, was there any learning perspectives or traits that you thought back and you could have done better? Or, I mean, ultimately, you got the patient there, right? So that's your ultimate job. What um, happens afterwards is beyond you. There was uh, very much a delay in transport, uh, in my opinion, on scene. I would have gotten the guy in the back of the truck, um, and we would have been gone. Um, there was a delay with you know the possibility of a family member riding along, and then trying to get information, ID, all this other stuff, and it was just a nightmare. Sure. Um, so there was very poor communication skills, um, and then there was really poor, you know, leadership um, on scene with getting people where they needed to go. And then as additional people arrived on scene, they just parked right in the way. <laughs> so we were kind oh, of going back with uh, apparatus placement and people parking and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but so um, kind of interesting versus inner city versus you know outer city so question for events in chicago where like i'm sure that you have to take pa- certain patients to certain hospitals um but where in uh, you know what's what would be your longest drive time to a hospital um like what's your longest commute that you would have so to granted i don't necessarily work in the ambulance anymore and for chicago i was i'm working on the engine 
Um, there are circumstances where I will be detailed on the ambulance if they're really short staff medics for ambulances because that's their priorities to fill out the ambulances. Um, but from my experience riding on the ambulance as an additional paramedic is 10 minutes, if that. You know, I think the longest I've heard other people say is maybe 15 minutes. With traffic or something. With traffic. Okay. Um, but that's going to an ultimate, like, trauma center. Sure. You know? Bypassing so, other local hospitals sure. to get to a trauma center. Absolutely. And the protocol is the same as here. You know, you want to go to a trauma center. With all circumstances. If you sure. need to stabilize, it's one thing, depending on the weather. But, yeah, I'd say average is 10 minutes or so, I would say, in a good good day. Um but that mindset again, what how things would have been differently if we ran this exact scenario on that on this call would be like load and go. You know, get them on the ambulance, get them stabilized the best you can, because ultimately what does that patient need? A surgeon. A surgeon, exactly, hundred percent. They need a surgeon. So that's what we need to get them to. Now I'm not saying wash your hands and not do anything. Do what you can, but get them to that treatment as soon as possible because of the golden hour of trauma, right? Um, whereas here I'd be a little more like, all right, I got 25 minutes to transport. I want to get going, but also I need to make sure I'm really going to maintain this patient or be able to maintain this patient for 25 minutes. So if I got to decide now, Hey, I want to grab another firefighter on the truck or, Hey, I want to make sure I could do a thorough, you know, IV while we're stationary here before we get on the road. That's one thing too, you know, but again, our practice is to be able to go and perform on the go so good point and there is our education plug a um, little bit of a scenario base that randy gave us the insight I, this was an actual call you had not too long ago correct perfect so i think it's a great way to reflect and be able to you know not judge and i'm not asking the audience to play you know judgment on it because it's hard to not do what, what do they call it the Backseat quarterback. Backseat quarterback, you know, because, again, the scenario is completely different when you actually got your hands dirty and your feet on the scene. Um, but it just gives you insight and gives gives you the opportunity to have your, your brain thinking about what you would do in this scenario. And that's why I love hearing podcasts when it comes to scenarios. I always watch the Rescue Me. I mean, that's my ultimate show, right? Um, but 911 and Chicago Fire on the TV is not to question what the actors are doing because obviously they don't know better but to test myself and I, I, I go as far and watch uh, what's that show in New Orleans or Night Night watch. Watch, right because that's real life so the reason why I watch that is because it's not I always, real life it's they're it? doing a hell of a good job <laughs> but I watch that that series because I always test myself it's like alright here's where we got here's how I would do it and then I challenge myself on their what they end up doing and see if I would do anything differently or if they're you know, again, what's the scenario if it was a real EMS versus what they have in downtown New Orleans? You know, so yeah, well, that's it. That's the power of that conversation piece, though. That's missing in most of it because we get that 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 Facebook. Once you start typing something, you kind of take your personality out of it, and it always gets taken the wrong way. Hundred percent. The whole YouTube YouTube trainings. They, you know, I mean, people are just brutal. You're absolutely right. There, I think they're tends to be a lack of um, connection sometimes amongst the audience and the um, information providers. So whether it's an educational video or an institution or just someone like us, you know, that we are just trying to bring a little more of a different perspective 
and uh, into the culture. You know, I think there seems to be sometimes a, a disconnection on everybody has their own certain ways. Everybody has their own certain beliefs and uh, they tend to get tunnel vision because that's all they're exposed to thinking that this is the only right way. And what we hope to, to bring here to you all is a new, a new uh, outlet, a new outlet of information um, for you to be able to go to and also reflect upon and, you know, to, to input yourselves into the education realm, into the, the culture realm, and have a little bit of exposure to other cultures of the, uh, the career and other, and how other departments or other organizations handle their, their um, situations. And just, you know, for you to have a, a, a sense of, of just connection, you know, and try to stay in a positive form. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be throughout our time, there's going to be some, uh, um, discussion that could be in debate that could be in, uh, controversy that could be, you know, in, in the sense of maybe sometimes challenging. I think ultimately we would like to avoid those circumstances and those situations, but regardless of what we do and what we talk about, there's, there's going to be moments like that. You know, that if we say something or we express something and somebody else out there doesn't quite agree, we want to hear you. We, we want you to express yourselves and we, we're more than willing to hear what you have to say and because we want to be able to learn from that as long as you're willing to also listen to what others have to say. And we're not saying change your mind. We're not forcing you into a certain direction, but we just want you to, to be open-minded in this conversation um resource that we are providing here well with that being said i think we have met our about two hour mark for our content this wraps up for our first episode and we truly hope that you enjoyed your time with us today we hope that our information our conversation our scenario our introduction was insightful i hope it sparked some interest i hope it sparked a internal urge to want to go educate to want to go be better to want to self-reflect we truly are honored to have you here tonight and we are blessed that you are willing to take the time to listen to our podcasts we welcome you to the future of our episodes you know this is our launch this is our kickoff we promise this is the most we're gonna talk about ourselves but the main reason why we wanted to have an introduction is to have you know who we are and where we come from. To understand the mission and philosophy of our existence here as a, a team of co-hosts here for this podcast. If you find any information or want to you know, pique our interest with your story, if you would love to share your content... And, and express a maybe news or article or how your department or your organization handles the situations that maybe we discussed, send us an email, share your story, send us a picture of, of your department, uh, just send us your insight at withinthinlines at gmail.com. We would be happy to follow up on that if you have any questions or suggestions. We would be more than happy to even suggest a potential guest in the future. 
Our intention is to have a guest here and there in our episodes to share their story because the ultimate reason why we're here is to enlighten the culture of our brothers and sisters. And if you do find this to be enjoyment or to be of enjoyment, stay tuned. We promise we have a lot more content and plans up our sleeves. Follow us on Instagram at Stay Within Thin Lines. We also have a Facebook group, and we plan to uh, we plan to do this more often. We're we're new here, we like it here. And I want to express that just as a disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions that have been expressed in our shows. So within the past two hours, on our follow-up episode. They are solely the thoughts and opinions of us as co-hosts, and they're not a representation of the organizations that we belong to. This is just a source for us to have a conversation, to start a conversation with you all. We want to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. And if anything seems to be of uh, debate, let's hear your story. Send us an email or chat us on Instagram. However it is. My name's Vince. I've had Tyler and Randy here with me today. We hope to see you soon. And wherever you are, whatever it is that you do, just always remember to stay within thin lines. <laughs>